Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. I have a message for you today, and it's called First Things First, Keeping the Main Things the Main Things. First Things First, Keeping the Main Things the Main Things. You know, we live in times that will disorient you and fog your mind. We live in times that will distract you from what's really important and cause you to lose focus and vision. Times like now require us to determine what's really important, and what's really central to our lives and our values. Amen? Today I want to talk about first things first, keeping the main things the main things, and helping us to reorient ourselves in a time when it's really easy to get disoriented. Now, some of you might judge me for this, but over the years I've been kind of a fight fan. And what I mean by that is I like boxing and I like MMA. I don't necessarily like all the blood. For those of you who like the blood, we probably need to talk to you about that. It might be an issue. But I like the sweet science, they call it, of boxing. I like the skills of observing a fighter. But there's something that happens in, in boxing, and that is, or not just in boxing, how many of you ever had a concussion in your life? Just a few of you. How many of you have ever been hit in the face, and it kind of knocked you for a loop, Right? You were actually, without knowing it, if you were kind of disoriented and you didn't know what was going on, you were probably at least a little bit concussed. And I've been hit in the face a number of times. I've had my nose broke, and, and I won't tell you that story. But anyway, I, I've, I've been concussed, and, and you lose a sense of kind of where you're at, who you are. You lose an awareness of your surroundings, and it takes time to recover. And if you've ever watched a fight, you know, what you always hope for is if your fighter gets hit really hard and he gets either knocked down or he gets hit and his legs kind of buckle, you hope it's toward the end of the round and he can keep it together and protect himself long enough for the bell to ring and he has that one minute between rounds for his team to gather around him, his trainers to gather around him, to fix him up, work on him. They actually give him smelling salts that shock him. Right? They do that in order to bring them back to a sense of focus, to remind them that that person across the ring is trying to take your head off, and you need to be ready when you go out there to fight back. And I, I feel like as a nation and as a world, we've been concussed. I feel like we got hit in the head, and we're disoriented, and people have lost focus, And we're kind of, in a way, what's interesting is when a fighter gets concussed, what can happen is they'll either do one of two things. They'll either close up and try to defend, or they'll just start swinging, hoping that they can hit the other guy to keep him off of them. And it feels like that's what we're doing culturally. We're just out there swinging our arms, hoping we're going to hit something, and what's happening is we're hitting each other. And there's a lot of relationships being strained, and it's a a real time of struggle. And so I want to talk to you today about kind of getting some smelling salts and waking us up and reminding us of what's really important. 
And I have a few things here that I want to talk about, and I realize this list can be expanded. I could do an entire series on this, and we could come up with another three every week. But the three I want to talk to you about today are these three right here. Remember to keep Jesus central in your life. That's the first one. Remember to keep Jesus central in your life. Secondly, remember to keep the Scriptures central in your life. And thirdly, remember to keep your mission and your vision clear in your life. So Jesus, the Scriptures, and your own sense of mission and vision in life. So let's go to the first one right off the bat. Remember to keep Jesus central in your life. I've preached a lot on Jesus the last several years, and I found a quote from Oswald Chambers. Any of you ever read My Utmost for His Highest? Okay, so he said this, and I love this quote. He said this, the highest Christian love is not devotion to a work or to a cause, but to Jesus Christ. The highest Christian love is not devotion to a work or to a cause, but to Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago, as the Apostle Paul was writing about half of the New Testament, he was writing the church in the city of Corinth. He actually wrote him two letters that we have, but we know historically that he actually wrote at least three. One of the letters is a lost letter. It would actually be what we would call 2 Corinthians, because what we have is actually 1 and 3 Corinthians, but we don't have 2 Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, he was getting concerned for the church, because he was like a father to this church, an apostolic father. And the, the church was being led astray by false teachers. False teachers had come in, and they had brought a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And he was really concerned, so he writes to them about what's happening in the age that he lives in, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4, and you'll see it on the screen. It says this, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. That's an interesting concept. We'll get to that in a minute. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And notice that he's calling the church a pure bride. And he's saying, I've promised you to Christ, to Jesus. But then look what he goes on to say. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So you can see Paul here is writing as a representative of God, and he's saying to the church, I'm jealous for you, and I'm jealous with the jealousy of God. And I don't know if you knew this, but you know, God is a jealous God. You ever understand that about him? In the Old Testament, one of his Hebrew names is Yahweh Ghana, which means the Lord, the jealous God. So he's jealous for his people. He's passionate for his people. He's protective of his people. 
He doesn't put up with other loves. When his people go after false gods and go after idols and they let their hearts be captivated by current trends and ideas when their minds get influenced and those things, those influences pull them away from devotion to Jesus Christ that is pure and undivided, God gets jealous and he starts to go after those false gods. He's a fighter too. I don't know if you know that. The Old Testament, God is also called a man of war. He's still the same God. So when he sees his people and their hearts are being moved and captivated, he fights for them. He cares about them. And Paul often fought with his pen. He wrote them letters that broke down and tore apart point by point the false teachings and the ideas that were going on. And so what I want to do is kind of, I guess, come out of the spirit of what Paul was saying to the church and remind us of a few things about Jesus. And here's the first thing. I want to remind you to remember that Jesus is your first love. Amen? Jesus is your first love. Jesus is to be our first love as Christians. First. The term does not mean that we're to have a puppy dog love. Like when people talk about returning to their first love, they often talk about it like, I want to go back to those days when I was just like, Jesus, you're my boyfriend and I love you so much. No, that's not what it's talking about. The word first is first in priority, first in rank, time, and place over every other love. It's too easy to put family, people, career, money, politics, comfort, nation, or some other idol before Jesus. It's so easy to put so many things in front of Him. And what's sad is we often don't recognize it when it's happening. But all we have to do is really look at our life. What do we fixate our thinking upon? What do we fixate our passions upon? Where do our affections go? Who do we talk about the most? What really is consuming our time and our energy in life? What really is where we put our whole being? Jesus is to be first above every other love. Am I talking to anybody this morning? See, in the book of Revelation, Jesus comes to his church in the second and the third chapter And he addresses seven churches, and there are seven churches in Asia Minor, which is where modern-day Turkey is. And during that time, he is speaking to them. He he uses what um, I've heard others call the sandwich principle. When he speaks to every church, he comes to the church, and he commends the church for what they're doing right and what they're doing well. And then after that, he corrects the church. He says, but I have this against you. You're doing some stuff here, and you need to stop that. You need to fix that. And then he ends... By saying, and if you do that, if you repent and do those things, here's what I'm going to give you. And by the way, parents, it's a great principle for raising children and leaders and people who lead people and manage people. That's a great principle as well, right? Start with a commendation, right? Then bring the, the meat of correction and then put the other, the other sandwich piece of commendation and promise and blessing, right? And so as Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus and The church in Ephesus at that time was one of the greatest churches in the world. Okay, so this wasn't a bad church. In fact, some scholars say at the time that this was written that the church of Ephesus was the biggest church in all the Roman Empire and the most well-known. And Timothy had been the leader of that church, the apostle and pastor of that church. And it was a really, really powerful church. And and listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 2.4 to the church in Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So let me remind you, Jesus is to be our first love. 
And if you're sitting here today and you feel like, you know, the Holy Spirit's kind of going and cutting you there and, you know, you've had the commendation, but now you're getting the correction and you're feeling like, ooh, maybe my first love hasn't been Jesus. How do you rectify that? You tell him. You just come to him and say, Lord, I recognize that I have not made you the first love of my life and I'm, I'm sorry for that and I ask you to forgive me and to restore that first love passion. Put it in me again. Help me make you first in priority and rank and order. Am I speaking to anybody? All right. Secondly, I want to remind you under this heading of Jesus is that Jesus is the ruler of the world. I'll say it again. You're a tough crowd this morning. Jesus is the ruler of the world. That's what the Bible teaches. Listen to this. Multiple texts within the Bible make it clear that Jesus is the ultimate authority on planet earth, not just in heaven. In times like this, it's easy to forget that. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. What's he say? What does Jesus say at the Great Commission? When he calls his disciples up, he calls his disciples up. They're they're on the mountain. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven and take his throne, what theologians call take his session, sit in session ruling the nations of the earth. And just before he does that, he gathers his disciples around him. Most scholars think there were about 500 there at this time. And speaking to 500 disciples, he says to them, all authority, and I'm going to read it to you, a little bit. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The word nations is ethnos. Go and make disciples of all the ethnic ethnic groups in the world and, and, and teach them and Teach them to obey, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and, and I'm with you. When you're doing this, as you're doing this, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And he starts by telling them, look, I'm in charge, all the authority that exists, every nation, every president, every congress, every supreme court, every prime minister, every king, every queen, all the authorities of the earth, that corporate CEO, your boss, every single person on planet earth that has any authority, every manager, every business owner, every one of them have been given delegated authority from me, and one day they're all going to stand before me, and they're going to give an account of how they used my authority. I want you to know I got it all. Now, that's really important to remember right now, because if you look around at the earth, the idea could be that there are these, you know, these conspiracies, these secret groups, all of these people that are behind the scenes, these these different ones who are ultimately in charge, and they're going to have their way, and, and it's scary, and we live in a scary time, and all these secret groups are conspiring, and they're going to bring it all down, and it's easy to believe that. But let me tell you, if it happened... It happened at his permission because he's the king of the kings and the Lord of the lords. And I'll tell you what, anybody that misuses his authority is going to be judged by him in the end. So the beauty is we can focus our attention again because it's so easy to get our attention on the other authorities and to miss the main authority. And if we get it back over here on Jesus and we recognize he's got this, he's the king of every king and he's got me and it doesn't even matter. Listen, if people kill us, we're with him. 
When Stephen was being stoned to death, the Bible almost indicates he never felt any of the stones. The Bible says as he's standing there and they're throwing rocks at him and, and, and those rocks are hitting him, the, the scripture says Stephen looked up into heaven and the heavens were opened and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, but he stood up for Stephen and he'll stand up for us. And so we need to be reminded who is in charge of this planet, who it belongs to. It doesn't belong to parties. It doesn't belong to candidates. It doesn't belong to kings or queens. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid for it with his blood, and he's going to have all the nations because the Bible says that he went to the Father and he asked, give me the nations as an inheritance, and the Father said, they're yours, son. I think that's a good reminder. Okay, do you believe it? Listen to Revelation 17, 14. This is speaking of the Antichrist system in the world, the Babylonish harlot, all the kings that come, I I believe that are primarily Rome, but any false system that has existed through time, listen to what it says here, together they will go to war against the lamb. Ooh. How many of you know that if you're making war against a lamb, generally speaking, lambs are not going to do very well? Isn't that true? I I love the story of the Bible because it, it flips the script. They go to war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings. And his call, look, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Here, I want to, how many of you um, are sometimes intimidated by reading the book of Revelation? It freaks you out a little bit. Let's be honest. How many of you avoid reading the book of Revelation? And the ones that are lying right now, the Lord sees your heart. (laughs) Just kidding, okay? I want to tell you, the reason we're afraid of the Revelation is because we see all the beasts and the creatures and, and, and we hear about the mark and we hear, and, and, and we're, we're convinced somehow in our head that it means that, you know, The devil wins. Evil wins. A lot of people, the idea they have about the revelation is is evil wins. And that is exactly the opposite of what the revelation is. You know what the revelation is? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the conquering lamb who beat up a dragon. I mean, see it? Bah, bah. You got a little lamb here? Bah. And a big dragon? You're going down, sucker. We thought David and Goliath was a dramatic story in the Bible. It's a picture, it's a type of the lamb and a dragon. And the lamb beats the dragon every time. Now that's beautiful. That's our confidence. We have to be rooted and grounded in the fact that our Savior and our Lord and our King of kings and Lord of lords is over it all and He wins and we need not be afraid because we're with Him. My trailer's hitched to him. How about you? Amen. And then, I'm getting stuck on this one, and I think it's good to be stuck on this one. If I'm going to get stuck on any of the three, it's this one. But the last thing about that is remember that Jesus is our pattern for life. Many patterns and blueprints are being put before us right now for us to copy and become like. People, systems, And pressures to conform to unbiblical thinking are trying to make us into something other than Christ-like. We must remember that Jesus is the blueprint we're seeking to become like. As we look at Him, He'll change us into His own image. 
But here's what's happening. We're living in a time when, again, there are spiritual... Listen carefully, people of God. And, and I'm talking to myself. There are spiritual forces at work in our world that are doing everything they can to get you to look away from Jesus and to look at this thing over here, this thing over here. Be drawn into this fight, this argument. See this group as your enemies. See this group over here as your enemies. And begin to put the whole world into terms of enemies, friends, with us, against us, and and make the world out. You know, where we actually do exactly what Paul said not to do, where we make our enemies flesh and blood. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. We have enemies, but they ain't flesh and blood. They're other kinds of enemies. They're spiritual enemies. And the only way you beat those enemies is by getting your attention back on the lamb. Because he conquers every dragon and he brings every Babylonian harlot down. He does. And so when we focus and fixate on him and we see him as our pattern and our goal becomes, I'm not going to be conformed to the spirit of the age, which is trying to pull me here and there, but I'm going to be conformed to what is Jesus like? And that takes me to my next point. Number two, remember to keep the scriptures central in your life. The scriptures, look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. What is true? And is useful to teach us what is true. A lot of stuff that's parading as true today is not true. Remember, there are forces at work to manipulate you. We're living in a time of some of the greatest propaganda machines in history trying to shape and mold our thinking away from Scripture and to a spirit in, an, in a time in the age that we live that's evil. Remember that. So all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Ooh, It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to, to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. We need the scripture. We need to keep it central to our lives. Remember, it's in the Bible where we see Jesus. The Jesus I was focusing on earlier, that Jesus is seen in scripture. And the reason that it's, that's important is because there are some, even out in the Christian world today, that are trying to get us to doubt the, the scripture, the authority of the scripture, that are trying to get us to believe that the Bible's not really trustworthy. And I'll even hear them say things like, you know, we need to look at Jesus. Jesus is the pattern, and then we're like, okay, that's, that's great, you're right there, and Jesus is the answer, he's what we need to look to, but the Bible, eh, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're contradicting yourself, there is a cognitive dissonance going on here, do you understand that the only record we have of Jesus is the Bible, did you all, you all hear that? So if we want to get a good picture of Jesus, we see him in the Bible, Right Now, there are a few extra-biblical sources that mention his name, but they don't tell us much about him. They, know, they, they mention that he lived, that he was a real person, that he was historic, but they don't tell us a lot about him, that he had influence, that he had followers, but they don't tell us who he was. The Gospels, the letters of Paul, the Psalms, the Old Testament prophets, Genesis, all of the Pentateuch, the Torah, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books, they all tell us about Jesus. They all point to Jesus, but the Bible is where we see who Jesus is. That's where we get a fully rounded portrait of him. Amen? Secondly, remember the Bible is where we see good news. 
good news. There are many, sorry, again, the good news that Jesus lived sinlessly in our place. You ever think about that? The whole life of Jesus, the whole event of Christ, what we call the incarnation, the enfleshing of God, the embodiment of God, that whole event of God coming to earth in Christ from the time of His conception until the time of His ascension, all of that event, the Christ event, is good news. And it's Jesus living our life in our place. You ever realize that? See, we say Jesus died on the cross in our place, but it's so much more. Jesus lived our life sinlessly. He lived the life that we were supposed to live and called to live that we never could because we're lawbreakers and sinners. He lived it in our place and he perfectly kept all the laws and commandments. So he lived it for us. And then he was betrayed and he went through all the things that human beings experience. And he was rejected and he was crucified and he died in our place, taking our sin, taking our judgment. And then He rose again from the dead, and He rose in our place. And when He came out of the tomb, we come out of the tomb with Him. And then eventually, He ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father. And the Scriptures teach that in in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are seated together with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see that the whole life of Jesus, the whole experience of Jesus was lived for us, died for us, was buried for us, rose for us, ascended for us, and is ruling and reigning with the Father, all of it, on our behalf. And where do we see that good news? We see it in the Bible. You see, we would never know, right? We would never know that God cleanses our sin, fills us with Himself, changes our human nature with His divine nature, and will one day transform our bodies and the material world to perfection. And all of that is found within the scriptures. And here's the reason that's important. Because right now, too many of us are letting the bad news shape our thinking. We're letting the bad news of our age determine how we look at the world. How we look at human beings. How we look at God. We're letting the cynicism and the jaded spirit of our time We're letting the anger and the hatred of our time conform us and shape us and not the good news. We need to get back to the good news. And by the way, the good news has some bad news in it. It tells us that we're pretty messed up and we need a Savior. But then it always gives us the Savior. And so we have this good news that we need. I'm not saying bury your heads in the sand, but I'm saying, gosh, I'm I'm just going to say this boldly. If we spent a third of the amount of time in Scripture and prayer as we do on social media, on the news, and other sources, letting those things shape our thinking, we would be world changers. But we don't. And it's one of the saddest things about the time that we live is I see so many people have forgotten to read their Bible. Just read it. Just pick it up. Read it. Get into it. Try to get into it a little bit every day. Because it'll, you know, I was telling the first service that I had a situation happen to me long, not long ago where I was reading the Bible one day in my devotional time and and the scripture, it did what it does, right? Because we read the Bible and then it reads us. You, you realize that's what happens, right? It's like a mirror, you know, you lift it up, you're reading it, you're like, whoa, this is really good, trying to get my inspirational thought for the day. And then all of a sudden it goes pow and hits you right between the eyes. And you look up and it's a reflection and you see flaws and they're you. And I felt like the Lord said, I, I read a text and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, that's a warning for you. Warning, warning, careful. 
careful. And I, I remember at that moment being so filled with gratitude that God didn't leave me to myself. But how many of you know if I didn't spend time looking in the Scripture, I may not have got that warning. How many of us are running off the edge of cliffs in our life, making really poor decisions, doing horrific things? And this isn't to condemn you, but it's just because you're not thinking any longer like God thinks. You're filling your mind with things that are not godly. And so what's happening? You're, you go to make a decision and you're, you're moved by emotion. You're moved by whatever you've been told to believe. And you're running off the edge of cliffs. And God wants to stop you. Am I talking to anybody? All right, remember the Bible is also where we see our new life. Do you have a, did you know you have a new life in Jesus Christ? You have a new identity? Look at what Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and then put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You got to put off and put on. But again, we won't even know we have that new life available to us if we're not immersing our thoughts in Scripture. Right? You know, some of us live way below who we really are. Think about it. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. And yet many of us live as though we're still that same old person. That same old person with an anger problem. That same old person with an addiction. Whatever. We live that way because we don't know who we are because we never look in the mirror. Okay, I made my point. Shut up, Doug, and move on. Last one. And I'm going to be really quick here. Remember to keep your mission and your vision clear in your life. You know the text, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And the idea there is if you're walking in the boundaries of Scripture and you're keeping your focus on what God made you for, you're going you're, you're gonna to stay on track. You're not going to go here, there, and everywhere. You're not going to be um, unrestrained. You're not going to cast off restraints and run wild because you have a prophetic vision from God. That's within the boundaries of Scripture. That's what it's, it's saying. And I want to remind you that every one of you in this room were created for a purpose. That every one of you in this room, have, there's a vision for your life. You know, you're made for more than just getting up in the morning and doing your job and eating your meals and doing your bathroom stuff and, you know, seeing the people you see and then going to bed at night. You've been created for more than that. Every person in this room has been created for more than that. Jacob, you've been created for more than that, man. God's hands on your life, and the Holy Spirit has touched you and filled you. And now the enemy is accusing you and pointing the finger at you and trying to tell you that you're not, you're, you're not what God said you were. But I'm going to tell you something. God's hand is on your life, Jacob. God's hand on, is on your life. And God knows your struggles, and He knows your trip-ups, and He knows your failings, and He loves you anyway, and He's never left you or forsaken you, and He's never going to reject you because He's after you. He's passionately after you. You've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, and you know He's good. And so I just want to remind you who you are. You're a son. You're a son of God. You have Christ in you by the Holy Spirit. You're a lover of Scripture. You're a lover of people. 
You're not what the accuser says of you. So tell him to shut up and get away from you and embrace the identity that God's given you because you're precious in his sight. You're a man of God, and that's who you really are. You're a man of God. So repent of your failings. Turn away from the stuff that accuses you. Acknowledge that Christ's blood is enough and get up and walk on, bro. God's with you. You're going to be okay. Amen? So what is that? What's at the root and the center of that, of that vision? The great commandments and the great commission. The great commandments and the great... What are the great commandments? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. ESV and all your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, that means all of the Bible, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What, what's Jesus saying? Let me tell you what each of us are called to do. Here's part of your mission. You're right now like, what do I do with my life? Where do I go? What's my direction? Here's your first direction. Love God with all of your being. Make that a, make that a focus. You may not be there yet. It's okay. Admit it. He knows. He knows. Yeah, I know your love's kind of tepid, but that's okay. I love your little tripping up, failing, falling efforts to love me. You keep trying. Come on. Come on closer. Come on. Because um, I'm going to tell you what. You keep coming closer to me, even though you're like falling the whole time. You know, you're just falling, tripping up, sinned again, blew it again, doing stupid stuff again. He, he's like, you know, I cleanse you. I wash you. I love you. Get back up. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. And the closer you get to me, the more you're going to love me. This is the beauty of following Christ is the more you see him, the more you look on him, the more you see of him, the more captivating he is. Right, And the enemy's plan is we fail, we sin, we turn away in shame and we go be like Adam and Eve and we hide among the trees of the garden and try to come up with our own fig leaves to cover ourselves, our own religion. And that religion is dead and it doesn't cover anything. And God just goes, what is going on with that? I already made a sacrifice for you and his name is Jesus. That's enough. I want to cover you. I want to cleanse you. I want to give you a new beginning. Now get back up and keep walking. Am I talking to anybody? And then there's the Great Commission. And this is where I end. Uh, mostly, um, Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came and told his disciples. I've already read this to you. I've given all authority, been given all authority, in heaven and on earth. Can we put that one up, Matthew twenty-eight? I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this: I am with you always, to the very even to the end of the age. So that's what we're created to do. We're called by God to go out and make disciples, right, of Jesus. Have people become learners. The word disciple means student. Hey, come, come learn about Jesus with me. I know a little more than you do, so I'll share my knowledge with you, and we'll go together in learning about him. That's what making a disciple is. And remember, part of the vision for our lives is that we become like him. Right? We become like Jesus. And then the last thing is remember, as a church, and this is where I end, as a church, we have a vision. We have a purpose. We've been put here with a unique expression in our city. Right? Other churches have their own unique expression. We have a unique expression. And God has called us to reach Moses Lake, the Columbia Basin, Washington, our nation, and the uttermost parts of the earth are part of that. And, and we're called to do that. That's why we exist as a church. We're not just here having good services. We're here to impact our city. I want to put up our vision statement if you've never seen it before. It's really short, but um, it, can we read this out loud together? Let's read it together. Together we will worship God, serve our city, and make disciples. 
Okay, so together we will worship God. That's our vertical part. And we gather corporately and individually. We're God worshipers. Serve our city, and not just our city, but our whole world. And then make disciples, make followers, students of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And I want to ask you to join us in that vision. Join us in your personal mission to go into the world and to love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love God in front of them, right? And to bring them to the knowledge of God. That's, those are things that are really important and we got to focus on right now. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?